open God's Word to Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 27 is what we're going to read. That should be on page 927. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 11, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. title of the message tonight is The Choice of Faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and wonderful. Father, you are a rock and our fortress, strength and our shield, a very present help in a time of trouble. Father, we gather tonight with a desire to learn from you, a desire to let your spirit and your word speak into our life, to to challenge us, to encourage us, to change us, to equip us to go out and be more of who you want us to be. Father, we we need to be a people of faith. We need to be people who choose to live by faith in Jesus, no matter what comes and no matter what happens in this life. Tonight, give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I'd not be a hindrance in any way. Let your word and your spirit wash over us tonight and Father, just convict us where we need convicting. Let your word and your spirit work together, Father, to change our thinking where that needs to be changed. Father, to illuminate darkness in our life that we need to bring into the light of the gospel. Father, just just do what only you can do in our lives tonight. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage is, is all about choices made because of faith. Moses, his parents, made a decision because they they believed God. Moses, when he was grown, made decisions. He made choices because he believed God. They both made choices despite there being other, and and in many cases, and in the other cases, easier options. They had, as what we've talked about in Hebrews 11, a living faith. And so they chose to follow God no matter what. Now, like those in in this passage, we too will have choices to make throughout our lives. Every day, in the ways we go and what we do and how we act and so many other things, we have choices to make. And our, our faith, or our lack thereof, will play a key part in what choices we make. To exemplify the kind of living faith we see here in Hebrews 11, we have to realize a living faith chooses to follow Jesus no matter what. A living faith chooses to follow Jesus no matter what. There are in this passage three ways this will be lived out in our lives. Number one, a living faith chooses to follow Jesus Over fear. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the context of this verse is Exodus 1 and 22, where Pharaoh 
decrees, the Egyptians are to toss all the Hebrew boys into the Nile River and kill them as soon as they're born, but leave the Hebrew girls alive. Now, the, the reasoning behind this is the Hebrews have come into this place and they were given a, a premium spot in Egypt and they began to thrive as God intended. Well, as they began to thrive, eventually there arose a Pharaoh who did not know J Joseph nor what Joseph had done for Egypt. So he looks out at this mass crowd of foreigners who live in their midst and they choose first to enslave them, hoping that by enslaving them, it will kind of slow down their growth. Then when that doesn't happen, they take and decide to kill off the male children. Killing off the male children, leaving the women, the girls alive, will still allow children to be born to these people, but... Their, their women will be married to Egyptian men and they will then become Egyptians and they will have Egyptian children. The, the reasoning behind this is if another nation were to invade Egypt, Pharaoh's fear is these foreign people will rise up and join with the enemy and so Egypt will be conquered. Well, when Moses was born, his parents, knowing the edict, knowing what was supposed to happen, chose to hide him. Now, they, they chose to hide him for two reasons. First, the Bible says here that they saw he was a, a beautiful child. Now, that's an interesting phrase. And the meaning of beautiful in this context is somewhat difficult to understand. We see the, the difficulty of this in the various ways the wording is translated. Beautiful is used in the New American Standard, what I have, the English Standard and the, and the New King James Version. A proper child is what the King James Bible tells us. An unusual child is what the New Living Translation tells us. And the NIV informs us Moses was no ordinary child. And the idea of this word and what is meant here seems to be less about his actual physical appearance and more about Moses himself. Most commentators... Believe what this means. His parents understood Moses was destined for great things. Now, how they knew that, we don't know for sure. But according to uh, Jewish historian Josephus, Moses' parents were given a vision by God explaining he was the one who would deliver them from Egyptian slavery. And that is how they knew he was destined for great things. Now, Keep in mind, the writings of Josephus are not the inspired word of God. It is He was a Jewish historian who lived sometime around and just after the time of Jesus. Um, his writings often give us a good idea and a good understanding of how Jewish thought was in, in this time period. So whether or not Moses' parents received a vision from God saying Moses would be the one, we can't say for sure. But I think from the writings of Josephus, what we can say is this is how the Jewish people would have understood this phrase. The people that uh, that the author of Hebrews was writing to would have understood and probably believed that Moses parents were given this vision and they understood Moses was going to deliver them. So knowing Moses had a task given to him by God or believing that. Uh, the parents hit him, but also because of their faith, by faith. It was their faith in God. And, and their faith in God was greater than their fear of the king's edict. Now, we can guess what would have happened to them 
had Pharaoh figured out what they were doing. Chances are they too might have been thrown into the Nile to be fed to the crocodiles along with their infant son and probably their other son and their daughter. Right, So there is a very good chance death was on the line for them. At the very least, beatings and imprisonment awaited them. But because of their faith, they chose to obey God, to do what God's will was, rather than to let fear control them and allow their child to be tossed into the river. Verse 27, we see Moses also. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Right? Moses, this has jumped several years ahead at this point. It's jumped ahead 40 years. Moses has come and he has spoken to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Signs and wonders have been done. Pharaoh has finally released the people. And Moses leads them out. Not afraid of what the king is going to do. Once he maybe changes his mind about what's happening. Moses' faith in God overcame any fear he may have had of the king. Faith overcame fear in both instances. And Moses' parents and Moses both did the will of God. Despite the fact fear and giving in to fear was an option. I think fear as a a faith overcoming fear is, is very relevant in our day. For the world we live in can be a scary place. The news, the news certainly is not encouraging. What we see on social media is certainly not encouraging. Virtually everything around us is constantly calling on us to be afraid. And and I've said before, and I'll say again, I believe with all of my heart it is intentional. The people are trying to keep us afraid because... They know how powerful a motivator or a demotivator fear is. Fear can cause people to do things they normally would not do. Fear would cause people to do things they normally would not do, despite the fact they know it may be wrong to do it, but because they're afraid, they'll act in a certain way. Fear will cause people not to do what they know they ought to do. Fear will cause people to say, I I know I should do this, and under normal circumstances I would do this, but I am so afraid right now I'm not going to do this. This is the reason peer pressure is powerful. And, And we often think about peer pressure on young people, but it's not just young people that face peer pressure. If we have peers, we face peer pressure. Because peer pressure essentially... Is the fear of what others will think or what others will say in response to what I do or what I don't do. Or what I say or what I don't say. And when I allow the fear of what others will think or say affect how I live, what I do, how I say, I am allowing peer pressure to an extent keep me from doing what I know I ought to do. And the reality is far too often as disciples of Jesus, we are guilty of letting fear keep us from doing what we know Jesus wants us to do. And none of us would ever want to admit we've let fear control us. And we've let fear keep us from doing what we ought to do. Or we've let fear cause us to do what we knew we ought not to do. 
But if we were all to be just ruthlessly, brutally honest about our lives and examine them, we could find instances where fear in our life had kept us from doing what we knew Jesus wanted us to do. This is not the way it's meant to be. Because the fear of man brings a snare. But one who trusts in the Lord will be protected. As disciples of Jesus, we are not to let the fear of man become a snare, keeping us from doing what we know Jesus wants us to do. And that's what it means by a snare. Like it, it is a, a trap that keeps us bound. It, it keeps us from doing what we ought to do or not doing what we ought not to do. But it, it holds us fast and it traps us and keeps us from doing the will of Jesus. Rather than letting the fear of man be a snare to us, disciples of Jesus are to courageously do what Jesus wants us to do no matter what. We are to do what Jesus wants us to do when what Jesus wants us to do will not be popular. And, and again, in our day, it is becoming increasingly unpopular. To do what Jesus wants us to do. To live the way Jesus wants us to live. And to say what Jesus wants us to say in the way Jesus wants us to say it. And we are not to let that fear keep us from doing what Jesus wants us to do. We are to do what Jesus wants us to do. When what Jesus wants us to do may cause us to be rejected. There is a possibility. And if we do what Jesus wants us to do, some people may not like it. And they may reject us as people. They may break off a relationship with us. They may cut off communication with us. They may keep us from being their friends any longer. They may reject us in any number of ways. And that's a very real possibility. And again, it's more and more in our day and more and more in the days ahead. But we still are not to let it be a snare to keep us doing what Jesus wants us to do. We're to do what Jesus wants us to do when what Jesus wants us to do may bring ridicule. Man, you talk about this is for sure. I mean, there's not as much options for physical altercations in America in our day for doing what Jesus wants us to do. But ridicule. Yeah. Ridicule for believing in the invisible sky God. No doubt, it's there. Ridicule for believing a book written by goat herders. It's there. Ridicule for believing in a man who, who died and rose again, and because of that our sins can be taken away. That, that's very real. That sort of ridicule is very much a part of the world we live in right now. It's, it's woven into the fabric of our culture at this point. But we are not to let the fear of their ridicule keep us from doing what Jesus would have us to do. We are to do what Jesus would have us to do, even if what Jesus would have us to do would cause opposition. I mean, there are going to be times where, like the Bible says, Jesus said, be a peacemaker. I mean, peacemaker, right? Try to bring peace between those who are in opposition. Exactly which of the two parties in opposition are you likely to please in the process of being a peacemaker? Well, the reality is you're not likely to please either one of them. Because both are going to want you to take their side. 
Both are going to want you to say they're right and the other party's wrong. And if you try to stay neutral and work for peace, you may find opposition from both parties. But it's not just peacemaking. It's any number of things. There's a very real chance there will be opposition in our lives because we're doing what Jesus would have us to do. And the fear of man will keep us from that. We're, we're to do what Jesus would have us to do even if what Jesus would have us to do is outside of our comfort zone. I mean, that's a fear too, right? Being afraid of doing what I'm not comfortable doing. Most of us have comfort zones. We, we find a, a comfortable level of devotion, a comfortable level of service or giving or, or, or whatever. And that comfort, I mean, I find comfort in my routines, in the things I do. But what if what Jesus wants me to do is outside that ring I have built wherein I feel comfortable? I don't, I don't like going out of my comfort zone. I, I'll just be real honest. It makes me uncomfortable, obviously. There is, there is at times a very real fear of going out of my comfort zone. Now, you guys probably don't feel that way, but I do. And we're not to allow our fear of leaving our comfort zone keep us from doing what Jesus would want us to do. We aren't to let fear keep us from doing what Jesus would want us to do because the fear that keeps us from doing what Jesus wants us to do is never from God. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. The word translated as timidity could be translated as cowardice. Man, that is a harsh statement. The point is very good. God has not given us a spirit that makes us too timid to do what Jesus would want us to do. God has not given us a spirit that makes us too fearful to do what Jesus would want us to do. God has not given us a spirit that makes us too cowardly to do what Jesus would want us to do. The fear that wells up within us that keeps us from doing what Jesus wants us to do always comes from one of our three big enemies. The world the flesh, or the devil. These three enemies work together to hinder us or outright prevent us from doing what Jesus wants us to do. These three enemies work together to prevent us from being courageously devoted to Jesus, from living out our faith in Him. They may cause us to be so afraid of what others may think or how others may respond. Or what people will say about us behind our backs. And in that fear what we do is we then begin to minimize. Or rationalize. Or justify our not doing what Jesus wants us to do. But no matter how we minimize or how we justify or how we rationalize. In the end, it is still nothing but fear that has kept us from doing what Jesus wants us to do. And a fear-based response is the opposite of a faith-based response. Because a living faith chooses to follow Jesus no matter what. A living faith chooses to follow Jesus in the face of fear. Chooses to follow Jesus over fear. Secondly, a living faith chooses to follow Jesus despite 
suffering. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the, Ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the, the temporary pleasures of sin. The living faith of Moses' parents bled over into Moses himself. How do we know? We know by the choice he made by faith. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, if you're not, most of us I think are familiar with the story, but in case you're not, Moses' parents couldn't hide him forever. So they made a, a little boat and they put him in the Nile and he floated down and just so happened to end up in the very place where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. And while Pharaoh's daughter was bathing, she heard his cries and her heart was touched by them. So she sent a servant to go out and get the baby. And then she, she took the baby and raised the child as her own. Moses was raised as the, the grandson of Pharaoh. With all of the wealth and all of the privilege and all of the education and all of the life of ease this entailed. But through it all, we find out in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 to 25, by the time Moses was 40, he already understood God wanted to work through him to deliver the people of Israel. This is why in the story, Moses visits his people. This is why when he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, he kills him and he disposes of the body. This is why the next day he tries to stop two Israelites from fighting. He, he thought they would understand. God had raised him to this position of power to deliver them as he understood it. Now while Moses went about deliverance the wrong way, murdering the Egyptian and hiding the body, and in the wrong time, he was still embracing what he knew God wanted him to do. The reality is Moses didn't have to do this. His life at this time was pretty good. I mean, if anybody had a kind of a, a sweet gig, it would have been Moses. Right? The son of Pharaoh's daughter. So not likely to inherit the throne. The son of Pharaoh's daughter and adopted son. So not likely to have, like to be in line for the inheritance. Which means... There's all of this wealth, all of this privilege, all of this education, all of the pleasures of Egypt are before him with almost none of the responsibilities of having to be Pharaoh someday. He has all the best, the, the largest empire in the world at that time had to offer him. And despite all he had, and all of the comfort and all that was available to him, he chose to give up his comfort. He chose to deny his sinful nature because he didn't enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. And he chose to identify himself with the people of God, even though this meant he would endure ill treatment because of it. He did this because his living faith moved him to choose God. Over anything and everything, even comfort, prosperity, and ease. Now, if God's word can be trusted, and I think we all would say it can be, then doing what Jesus wants us to do may well bring hardship and difficulty and suffering into our lives. Jesus specifically warned us about this. Blessed are you when people insult you 
and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus is essentially saying you're blessed when the world treats you in the same way it treated him. Now, let me say this. This is a rabbit trail that's not a part of the sermon, but often we hear from those who are sort of nominal in the church or against the church that if Christians today were more like Jesus, then the world would love us. And yet, did the world, I mean, nobody was more like Jesus than Jesus, right? Did the world love Jesus? Or did the world plot against Jesus and betray Jesus and murder Jesus? So don't think for an instant those people are right. That if we were just more like Jesus, the world would love us too. No, no. The more like Jesus we are, the more the world will actually hate us because the world is under the sway of the evil one, the Bible tells us. And what Jesus says is, when they can see me and you, they will hate you like they hated me. When they can see me and you, they will treat you in the way they have treated me. This is why it's blessed. It's not blessed because of the insults or the persecution or the false accusations. It's blessed because they're treating us the way they've treated Jesus. And the Apostle Paul understood this. He said he wanted to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Experience the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. What a statement. Most people are more than willing to embrace the, the blessings of Jesus. The fellowship of his suffering. We're tempted. To shrink back from ridicule and questioning and abuse. The kind that Jesus had to bear. Yet Paul said he he looked forward to the fellowship of those sufferings. Now the phrase fellowships of his sufferings is an interesting phrase. And it doesn't mean he had any sort of redemptive part in the world through his sufferings. He wasn't taking part in Jesus' atonement sufferings. The cross was Jesus' uniquely alone to bear the penalty for our sins. But Paul took these words very seriously. And what Paul wanted was for to be so, the power of the resurrection of Christ to have so changed him, to know Jesus so much, to be so like Jesus, that the world treated him the way the world treated Jesus. Now here's... Now, not only is that challenging, but here's even more challenging. Paul did not consider this a burden to be borne. It wasn't a warning. Paul didn't see it as, now, beware. If you really get sanctified, the world's not going to like you. So take that into consideration when you make your life-altering decisions for Jesus. That's not how Paul saw it. Because he had already said. For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer On his behalf. Now the word granted. It it pictures a gift. Given. Or favor shown. According to Paul. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Suffering for the sake of Jesus. Isn't something we're afflicted with. It is a blessing. And a gift. We are given. That's, 
It's amazing. Certainly contrary to our natural way of thinking. But if you think about it, it makes sense. American soldiers, they don't shirk death, bombs, bad guys, torture. They consider it an honor to give their lives for the sake of their nation, the sake of the people that they're protecting. They consider it an honor to jump on a grenade to save their buddies. If American soldiers feel that way about America and Americans, how much more should disciples of Jesus feel that way about Jesus? When we suffer for Jesus, we're suffering for the sovereign ruler of the universe. Jesus isn't some insignificant rebel or the crazy uncle we're ashamed to be related to. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to earth for our sakes. Lived and died for our sins. Rose from the dead on the third day. Is the king over all kings. The Lord over all lords. And the redeemer of our souls. It is a privilege for us to suffer for his sakes. This is why we rejoice when we suffer for Jesus. Because the world sees enough of Jesus in us to hate him, to hate us as it hated Jesus. Now, let me clarify before we move on. This isn't to say we seek suffering as disciples of Jesus. This isn't to say we're blessed when the world hates us for being jerks. Disciples of Jesus can't act like jerks and then call ourselves blessed when people hate us. Disciples of Jesus don't seek suffering for the sake of suffering. Rather, we follow Jesus and we do what Jesus would have us to do even when our following Jesus causes people to say bad things about us, false things about us, even if it causes physical suffering to come into our lives. Disciples of Jesus have a living faith in Jesus. And so we choose to follow Jesus no matter what. Even if the what is actual physical suffering. And then finally. A living faith chooses to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is worth it. Verse 26 says Moses considered the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Moses' living faith had changed his value system, so he valued what God offered him at some point in the future as being of greater value than what Egypt offered him at that moment. Again, let's keep in mind he had Egypt was the greatest, most powerful, wealthiest nation of the day, and he had access essentially to all of it with none of the burdens that would come to being the king. And yet what God offered him was far greater than what Egypt offered him. Even though what God offered him was something later and not immediate. And what Egypt offered him was something immediate. The wording about the reproach of Christ seems to indicate Christ was the greater reward. 
Now Moses, of course, didn't understand all we understand about who Jesus is and what Jesus would do. But Moses did understand there was a Messiah to come. According to Hebrews 11.26, to Moses' way of thinking, he was suffering reproach for the sake of the Messiah who was to come. The Messiah who, of course, was Christ. And so this coming Messiah was worth his all. His living faith enabled him to choose to follow God because this coming Messiah, our Jesus, was worth it. I think of all the things I'm going to talk about tonight, this is probably the most important. Our ability to follow Jesus, no matter what, will flow out of our faith in the value of Jesus. If our faith in Jesus does not cause us to value Jesus as our greatest treasure, then we'll only likely follow Jesus so long as He doesn't threaten our greatest treasure, whatever that may be. On the other hand, if Jesus is our greatest treasure, then we'll follow Him no matter what it costs us personally. The Apostle Paul understood this. Whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, at some point, Paul's value system changed and there were these things he had once thought were very valuable but he no longer saw them as valuable now he counted them as lost he had given them up now those of us who know the story of the apostle paul we know his value system changed on the road to damascus when he saw jesus having met jesus his life was radically changed the very first things it talks about whatever things were gained to me those things that it lists in the verses before it, being a Hebrew of Hebrew, the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the third day, according to the law, blameless, a Pharisee, zeal for the Lord, persecuting the church. He had all of this list of things that he, these were the reasons he was righteous. These were the things that made him a right standing before God. These were the things that, that mattered most in his life. But then after meeting Jesus, he said, those things are, are worthless to me. I count them as lost. They are nothing. Not only are they not valuable, he realized they actually serve to keep him from Christ. That so long as he was trusting in his own means for righteousness, he would never truly know Jesus. And so he laid them aside. But it wasn't just his own goodness, his own righteousness, his own works to acquire righteousness. Paul counted as a loss. It was all things, right? Because whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted. There's a definite time in the past where he counted the things in the previous verses as lost. But more than that, I count. In the past, he counted past tense. In the present, he is counting. All things to be lost in view of the surpassing knowledge of value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
Paul hadn't counted something as lost at some point in the past and then gone on about his life. Paul was continually counting things as lost for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. It was a continuous recognition to know Jesus was better than everything else. And so he continually sacrificed. He continually let go of anything that hindered his relationship, his service to Jesus. Anything that kept him from knowing Jesus. Anything that kept him from doing what Jesus wanted him to do. He counted it as lost. And, and the wording is meant to see this isn't like it was taken away. It wasn't snatched from the Apostle Paul. No, he threw them. He got rid of them. He saw these things were, this was keeping him from Jesus. And rather than keep it as his cherished possession, he got rid of it. He tossed it to the side. But he not only tossed it to the side, he not only counted it as lost, he considered it rubbish. The King James word there is dumb. So he not only considered it as rubbish, but as the worst sort of rubbish. They went from being cherished possessions to the worst kind of rubbish. Because Jesus was so much better than everything else. This is more than simply knowing about Jesus. Instead, it is truly knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus. Paul considered knowing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus to be of greater value than anything else. Jesus and knowing him was of surpassing value. It was greater than anything by far. From what we know of the Apostle Paul, all things was all things. He had lost his job. As a Pharisee, he had lost his good standing in the Jewish community. He lost his family. He lost the wealth his family had, as we what we understand about Paul's life. He really lost, I mean, virtually all things. His meritorious righteousness, his social position, his wealth, his family, his intellectual standing in the community. He lost all of it. And consider Jesus better than all of it combined. He was willing to count it as lost. To cast it aside. So that he might better know Jesus. And be found having only the righteousness of Jesus. Moses did what he did. Because he valued the reproach for the sake of the Messiah. Jesus. To be of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. Paul did what he did because he considered knowing Jesus to be of greater value than his own goodness, his own righteousness, his own social standing, his own financial security, and his own political or intellectual acceptance and his own political aspirations. What about us? Does our faith lead us to value Jesus in this same way? I would be easy to say, well, this is Moses, this is Paul, this isn't for Everyone is unique, specific for them. But I wonder, do we take that view because that's what God's word says? Or do we take that view because it makes us comfortable in our lives? Look at what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Two parables, one point. What we find in Jesus is of greater value than anything we have or anything we can ever acquire. Jesus is of greater value than anything this world can offer us now or ever. Jesus is worth losing everything to gain. Jesus is worth casting aside everything to gain. Something important to notice. Moses, Paul, folks in these stories. It wasn't grudging sacrifices they made. The man that found the treasure in the field and went to sell everything he had to buy the field and all he had left was the field and the treasure, he didn't walk away griping, saying, I shouldn't have taken the shortcut. I knew if everybody, I would be the one to find this, did he? No, he went with joy because he knew what he had was greater or what he found was greater than what he had. They joyfully endured the plundering of their goods, Hebrews 10 tells us. What these people all realized is that what they found in Jesus was greater than what they had. All they had was stuff. What they found was God in the flesh, the Redeemer of mankind, Jesus the Messiah. These things are meant to remind us of the, the greatness and the glory of Jesus. They're meant to remind us Jesus is more valuable than anything else. The idea is when we meet Jesus, we are so amazed by Jesus that we are amazed we can know Him. We are amazed that we can experience Him. We are amazed He loves us. We are amazed we can have a relationship with Him. We are amazed that we can have His righteousness instead of laboring for our own. That we let go of anything and everything that might hinder us. And we see that in comparison to Jesus, whatever those things are, they're just rubbish. They're just dumb in comparison. Imagine. Imagine someone had a pile of horse poop someone offered to give them a house in exchange for the pile of horse poop. And they said, no, I love my horse poop. This is the best poop any horse ever pooped. I, I am not going to let go of my horse poop for anything. I love this horse poop. And so this giant house goes to waste because they didn't get it. Would we think, man, it's a person who sticks by their convictions. Man, that's a person who knows what's what. We would think, does they have a family that can get them the help they need? It, it's, it, it's poop. Here's the reality. When we hold on to something and it keeps us from Jesus, we are that man. We are holding on to our poop 
rather than embracing the living Son of God. And we are of all people most foolish in that moment. Jesus is worth more than anything and everything this world can offer us. When we meet Jesus, He changes our values. And then Jesus is what we value. The value of Jesus flows from our living faith in Jesus. I'll close with this story. 2019, a Christian social media influencer and author named Rachel Held Evans died. She was very progressive, very liberal uh, in her theology. She was open about her many doubts about the Bible, about the church, and very important things. Not long after she died, a guy I sort of followed on Twitter released an interview he had done with her a few months before she passed. And in the interview, she was open and expressive about her doubts regarding the Bible and the church and, and again, many very, very important issues. And in the end, the interviewer asked her, with all of your doubts, with all of these questions, why do you stay a Christian? Why do you continue to be a part of a church? And in paraphrase what she said, she said, because of Jesus. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth being wrong about. The number of issues I disagreed with Rachel Held Evans about are numerous. But I agree with her about Jesus. I don't have the issues, the questions, and the doubts she had. But I, I really believe if I did, I would continue in the faith because Jesus. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth being wrong about. But He's not just worth being wrong about. Jesus is worth giving our lives to serve. Jesus is worth pressing on in the face of fear. Jesus is worth doing His will despite any suffering it brings. Jesus is worth any sacrifices we make. Jesus is worth it. And if there is anything we get tonight, I hope we understand Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are great and wonderful.